Good morning, and thank you for joining host Cheryl Esposito for an intriguing hour of leading conversations. Each week, Cheryl brings together big thinkers to the Voice America Business Channel. Now here's your host, Cheryl Esposito. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to Leading Conversations. This is Cheryl Esposito. Today we have a special guest who has actually been with us before, Richard Strozzi Heckler, who is co-founder and president of the Strozzi Institute and author of several books, including his latest, The Leadership Dojo, Build Your Foundation as an Exemplary Leader. Richard, welcome back to Leading Conversations. It's nice to be back with you, Cheryl. Oh, good. It's good to hear your voice. You are in Northern California today? I am. I'm out at Bodega Bay today. I live in uh, Northern California outside of Petaluma, and um, I'm at my home where I just finished my book in Bodega Bay. Oh, terrific. Yeah. Uh, so you, where you just finished your book, you mean that's where you wrote your book? No, basically I finished it here. I, I took a mini sabbatical um, this past summer from about May to October. And uh, one of the things that I did in that, besides many other really wonderful things and retreats, was that I completed the Leadership Dojo and got that wrapped up. And I did a revised edition of In Search of a Warrior Spirit, oh. which included my work in um, Cyprus and Iraq and Afghanistan with the military. Oh, that's terrific. Well, I would like to get to the conversation about a little bit more about um, the sabbatical a little bit later um, because I know people are very interested in how you nourish and support yourself as you do all of this important work. Um, so let's start by talking about the book, The Leadership yes. Dojo. Um, I know you've been talking about this book for a very long time. It has been a desire of yours to put forth this body of information in a way that can make a difference in the world, um, just like the work you're doing is making a difference in the world. So, Richard, talk to us a bit about what inspired you and what made you curious about leadership and the body. I think that it really, I could, I could take this back to um, around the mid-80s when I did the Trojan Warrior Project for the Special Forces and where we had 25 Green Berets under operational command to build what they then called a holistic soldier. And we did things like Aikido every day. We did a meditation retreat. We did communication skills, new technologies in healing and <clears throat> diet and physical training. And... Um, uh, the promise was that they would have physical enhancements, mental enhancements, and team cohesion. And um, when they went back, we, we went off the charts in all, all, the, all the different areas, anecdotal and, and objective, did very, very, very well. And then when we went back to their units, everybody said that there was, um, they were better leaders. Now, that made common sense to me, that if you're working with mind, body, spirit, that would happen. And perhaps to a lot of your listeners, too, that would make sense. But... What I saw was that was never part of our promise, yet that happened. So I became very interested in what was leadership. And when I wrote the book, um, I had a lot more offers coming from business and organizations, profit and nonprofit, large and small, to do management leadership training. And what I did was that I asked these three questions to every group that I had for the first six months is, what do leaders do? And the whiteboard just filled up with all the different activities. As you can imagine, we have meetings we interview people, we do strategic planning, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And then I say, what, what makes up a good leader? And then they would go through a list of no more than a dozen, but anywhere from eight to a dozen of these virtues that go all the way back to Aristotle and go back to the Abhidharma, the Buddhist book of psychology and the um, Bhagavad Gita in, in uh, Indian philosophy, around things you can imagine like courage, commitment, accountability, integrity, hmm. honesty, vision. And they, those were always the same. So the first two categories were basically always the same. The third question I would always ask would be, and how do you train somebody to cultivate these virtues or these character traits? And the, the conversation was a standstill. And it basically kind of devolved into banalities like, well, you can lead a horse to lead water, but you can't make them drink. Uh, leaders are, more, uh, are, are born and not made. Mm -hmm. And um, 
that wasn't my experience. My experience was that if somebody had the commitment, they had the uh, basic intellectual and emotional ground, that could be cultivated into very strong leadership uh, traits. And so I began this experiment about doing that, building leaders and working through the body to do that. And um, all of our work, all of our research shows that you can teach these things, people can embody them, and become more effective leaders. And, and I'll say, too, uh, Cheryl, is in this book, when I talk about leaders, I make two distinctions about it. One is the distinction of um, people who have followers. Uh, you're leading a company. You le- you're leading a business unit. You're leading a battalion of Marines. You're leading the PTA. And then there's people, a great number of people, who are leading their own lives. And both of these things count for both of those. So people just leading, who are leading their own lives, leading their families, and those who are, uh, have followers. So it was really at that point that really brought me into this question. And the book is really the, the compilation of that research and work over the last um, uh, 15 years. Hmm. Uh, 15 years of work is a lot. And what I noticed in this book is that you go pretty deeply into um, what exactly the body of a leader looks like. And um, I want to talk a bit about some of the characteristics. Now, to back up a bit, we're, we're talking about somatics, which is the core of your work and, and has been the focus of your work for years and years. And somatics, as you describe it, the living body in wholeness or mind-body connection, mind-body-spirit connection, right? The three, right? Right. Um, and so the application of this, to the body, I'm sorry, to leadership, and then what are the characteristics you see in leaders that help them be successful? Um, We're actually going to go and look at some um, specific people that are familiar to um, our audience, but we're going to hold on that for a second. But I want you to tell us, what are some of the body characteristics of successful people? In my book, Cheryl, I talk about a leadership presence. And a leadership presence, I say arguably, has to do with five basic different distinctions. And the first one is um, centering, which is uh, basically a commitment to self-awareness. And centeredness is that you're um, present um, to others in the environment. Um, You're uh, um, open to possibilities. You're not closed down or you don't have a narrow view. And you're connected to what you care about and what your ethics and what your values are. And you, you're connected to that through your bodily self. So we say it's a commitment to self-awareness. And we know this is part of the, old, the, the perennial philosophies that talk about um, the first thing a leader must do is have self-awareness. Um, I talk about the, the notion of facing. And if you think that we're the only animal that can actually face, we can stand straight up on two feet, our arms are free, our eyes are in front of our head, mm-hmm. our whole ventral side or, or our front side is exposed to the world, and that we can face the situations that we need to face, and we can, and we can deal with them. Now, as you see is that I'm talking about, and, and that's a commitment to integrity, and um, what I want to be real clear about here is this notion that each one of these, so everybody would say, of course, integrity is part of being a leader, part of being yeah. an exemplary human being. But when I talk about facing, I actually talk about a whole set of practices around what it means to face into your own sense of integrity and face into the integrity into the world. Um, third, I talk about extending, that we can move our attention deeply into the world and deeply towards others and become much better listeners and readers of other people and of the world. And we can um, begin to go, what's too much to and this is a, a commitment to extending is a commitment to building relationships. So if we say that, that uh, choice follows awareness, mm-hmm. we can also say that energy follows attention. So it's wh- wherever I put my attention, that part of life will come to the foreground. So if I'm putting my attention appropriately on listening or being with another person, they feel respected they feel acknowledged, they feel that I'm sincerely connecting with them, then we're able to build a relationship. And this, this is a very, very important piece about leadership. Instead of seeing people as markers on a chessboard and moving them around, we, we, we know how to build a relationship with them. 
fourth part, I talk about entering. And entering is really a commitment to courage, that you will enter into the heart of the conflict. You'll enter into the, the difficult conversations. You'll, you'll, you'll enter into what is the single piece that is most important and has to be dealt with in the moment. Mm. That, that is a commitment to courage, take, having the courageous conversations. And the fifth domain here in terms of a leadership presence is what I call blending. So that once we've done this, and I, and I want the, everybody to listen to these as like, like a chord, like there might be five separate notes, but when you play them at the same time, this is actually happening instantaneously. So, so blending is uh, um, being able to deeply walk into another person's shoes, to deeply understand a situation and what, how we can move in it, to understand that if this is the place to have restraint or this is the, the place to really raise your voices and to be... Um, make some noise and, and, and um, sound about it. And blending allows us to work so that there is minimal effort and maximum output. And I just want to again say, Cheryl, is that, you know, the, these pieces as virtues, you know, everybody has said these things forever. Um, yeah. But the difference that um, I'm bringing forth here, which is part of the somatic discourse, is actually how you train these things, how you train them so that you can be um, not only speak of them as uh, insight, but actually as something that you can embody. So we, we, we know that the easiest thing is to know something. Uh, the, the next most difficult thing is to feel it. Mm-hmm. And the most difficult, and which takes more time to catch up with, is that can we act from that place? And what I say is that through practices in the body, we can do that. We can do that. Now, you talk about the... You, you position this as a new interpretation of the body and that there are five domains within that, I mean, in terms of what the body is, action, mood, coordination, learning, and dignity. Mm-hmm. And so this whole concept of leadership presence, you're saying with the five, these five domains of centering, facing, extending, entering, and blending will show up in these other five domains of the body, action, mood, coordination, learning, and dignity. Is that right? Yes. Okay. Yes. And so can you describe um, a bit about this whole process of action, mood, coordination? I mean, are you talking about, you know, the action I take or the behavior that I demonstrate and, you know, am I in a good mood or bad mood or, you know? Mm-hmm. I mean, well, hang, actually, I want you to talk about that, but I want you to do it right after this break. We'll be right back with Richard Trilly Heckler. From the stock market floor to your computer, you're listening to Voice America Business. Leadership is not static. It evolves as you do. At Alexa Consulting, we work with CEOs, senior leaders, and leaders in transition who want to make a difference. Leaders who believe that good business is good for people, good for the world, and knows that conscious actions can have global impact. Are you ready to take your leadership to the next level? If you are, then visit our website at www.alexaconsulting.com. That's www.alexaconsulting.com. Alexa Consulting, developing leaders worldwide. It has been said that to live is to choose, but to choose well, you must know who you are and what you stand for, where you want to go, and why you want to get there. On Reap What You Sow, with host, performance management specialist, and executive coach, Alana Daly, achievement and success through expanding yourself and your life is available at the click of a mouse. Reap through redefining your goals. Educate your mind, your body, your conscious, and unconscious. Apply what you learn and plan, and it shall be success over and over again, and wealth result when you Reap regularly. Reap what you sow with Alana Daly. Broadcast each Thursday at 11 a.m. Pacific, 2 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Business Channel. Reap what you sow. Learn the rules of the game. Then play better than anyone else. 
Tune in every Tuesday at 8 a.m. Pacific time for The Growth Strategist with Aldana Ambler. On the show, Aldana and some of today's top business professionals will discuss some of today's most pressing business issues that hold you, the business owner, back. Aldana will also give you 21 ways to grow with her list of growth strategies. Grow smart, grow profit, and grow your business with Aldana Ambler and The Growth Strategist every Tuesday at 8 a.m. Pacific time right here on the bottom line in business talk, Voice America Business. 401s, stock, mortgage, retirement, wealth. We cover it all. Voice America Business. We appreciate you joining our leading conversations today. If you would like to participate in today's conversation, please call us now at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Now back to your host, Cheryl. And we're back speaking this morning with Richard Strozzi Heckler, author of The Leadership Dojo, Build Your Foundation as an Exemplary Leader. Richard, before I went to break, we were talking about um, the characteristics of a body, of a leader, and the, you shared with us the domains of leadership presence, very important to a successful leader. And in your book, you describe that there is a new interpretation of the body and those five domains, and you're going to tell us about those five domains of action, mood, coordination, learning, and dignity. Why don't you talk about that? When people, when you when you mention you're working with the body, um, people will usually fall into these kind of categories: the category of the Sports Illustrated swimsuit edition or Vanity Fair, with all these women who are airbrushed and have per, are perfectly proportioned, and uh, or we fall into the notion of the guy on Men's Health who has this perfect six-pack abs. And uh, again, has 0.06 body fat, and we we think of it as um, you know the the airbrush notion of a body, or that people will think of body as sin, and it'll what's what's going to take you to hell. We think of it as a piece of mechanics, or, or the, the the donkey that takes the mind around on its important um, uh, missions, and. Um, in the, in the notion of somatics, which is a Greek word, which means the living body in its wholeness, um, the Greeks said when they were having the conversations, what kind of citizen do we need to bring people into city-states? This was all the way from you know, Aristotle to Plato and Socrates, is that they, they wanted a citizen that was physically fit, uh, emotionally balanced, had a, had a mental acuity and alertness, and had a moral and spiritual vision. And so when we speak about body in my book, when the, the word body is used, or when we speak about Estrosi Institute in our work, we think of our capacity to take action. And that action isn't just moving around. A person could be sitting very, very silently in meditation or contemplation or reflecting on something and being in action. It, it goes back to the old stonecutter's parable of the Three people studying, uh, cutting on the stones, and you know they're sitting on a stool, and they have a cold chisel and a mallet. And the casual observer, you go, look, they're all doing the same thing. And you ask the first person, what is she doing? What are you doing? And she says, I'm cutting on a stone. You ask the second person, he says, I'm building a wall. And when you ask the third one, she says, I'm building a cathedral. So they're all involved in the same activity, but they have a different narrative about it, which means they have a different intention about it. So that action is action means that the activity that you're in is being fed by the, the, the highest and most conscious form of intention that you have, which is you can ask yourself, what is the cathedral that I'm building? Um, the, the, the Persian Sufis, the mystical aspect of Islam, have the saying called Das Badar Del Bayar, which means uh, keep your hands in your work, but with your heart with a friend or your heart with God. And um, so when we speak about body, we speak about our capacity to take effective action, and action being that you are involved in an activity with the highest, highest possible um, intention or cathedral that you're building. Hmm. We, we say that body is, is a domain of mood, and uh, most of us grow up thinking body, uh, I mean, mood is, has something to do with a mental state, and if you change your mind, your mood changes. We say that body 
uh, mood is a, a bodily phenomenon. And really what you're doing is you're changing your, your, your body. So, for example, if you bring your shoulders up to your ears and you throw your eyebrow open forehead and kind of a worried look and you say, I'm fine, um, number one, people will go, that's dissonant, and I don't know if I can believe this person. Mm-hmm. And number two, it's very difficult to feel fine when you're holding your shoulders up and your eyebrows are furrowed like that. Mm-hmm. So the mood would be one much more of worry or anxiety, for example. Um, we say that uh, we learn through our bodies. And what I mean by learning here is a little bit different, but it means that it's not just the memorization or road activity, but it is the capacity to take an action that was previously unavailable to you. So what that means is that what you're learning, you've been practicing, and you show up different in the world. Mm-hmm. And if there's the people you haven't seen for a while, they look at you and they go, gee, you're different. What have you been doing? And then you tell them about what you've been learning. So learning isn't just, like I said, a way that you have insights or you collect a lot of data or information or you just know something, but you can act differently. Um, uh, coordination belongs to the body. How we're able to get along with others, how, do, how we're able to make appropriate boundaries with others. We let some people in, we choose not to let other people in. How we can move effectively with people where there's less wasted energy. Um, and then finally, body is a domain of dignity. And dignity, and I'm referring to the sense of, of people want to be seen as having value in the world. Hmm. People want to be seen as being able to contribute. And uh, the Chinese and ancient Chinese philosophies, they call this, this is in our bones. So that the uh, um, notion of body always has to do with how we act, how we're feeling in our moods and emotions, um, how we're getting along with other people or how we're not getting along with other people, um, how we can be lifelong learners and learn through our bodies and continue to be an ongoing contribution and a person of value in the world. And so tell me about dignity. You know, that's something that you speak about a lot. Mm-hmm. And tell me about um, what makes that up. You, um, I believe that in our culture, I would say generally that people believe that they, they're owed dignity. And um, this, this feeling of, um, of, of that we should be able to own this or, or have this for ourselves really comes from the notion that, you know, if you turn 18, you can vote. I mean, you don't even have to speak the predominant language of English. You don't have to know anything about the issues or the candidates. But you're entitled to vote just because you turn 18. And I think that there's something in our culture where we begin to fall into this notion that I'm entitled to be treated with some kind of value or or dignity. Now, to a certain extent, I, I I would concur with that. I also say that it's much stronger to say that I will earn this right. I won't be just entitled to it and have, think that it should be just bestowed on me. But there's ways that I can build my body, and if you think of body the way I just described it, that I can build the way that I think about the world, the way that I'm in modes about the world, is that um, I will more and more show up as a person who has value in the world um, so that there's a way that we will hold ourselves, comport ourselves, hold ourselves in our body that can be seen as uh, we will automatically make an assessment of somebody as a person who has value or has dignity. Mm-hmm. And I think that this, this is a key thing for all people and it's certainly a critical thing for leaders. And it certainly seems to be a piece that's missing in our society as a whole, especially in the society of the United States, um, where it seems like kids even don't, have a sense of dignity, nor are they given permission to have that you know, in, in many situations. And I, I wonder, where, where did we lose the importance of dignity? Well, I, I would say, from my point of view here, is that we are such an extraordinarily wealthy, wealthy culture, that, uh, and we have these images of, on TV and billboards and magazines and newspapers of people having these tremendous kinds of uh, material wealth and opportunities, is that we begin to absentmindedly fall into the notion that 
that she's just a part of what we can, um, that is owed to us. And being in America, what we should be able to get. And um, we really don't have rigorous standards and practices for people being able to build a body, if you will, that has dignity in it, that we don't go through a, some rigorous course of study around self-cultivation and self-mastery. Where we, we, we feel that we've done the right thing. We, we've built ourselves in the right way. I've gone through an initiation rite or passage. And, and from there, that um, I have a, a right to be treated with dignity, and we can stand on it in an appropriate way. You know, um, you've talked about, in, a, in our political system, how democracy itself um, almost has a shape. And, um, and you talk about how we language things and how that influences that shape of democracy. Um, can you talk a little bit about that? Well, one interesting thing, too reflect upon here is this whole notion that if we look closely here that the, the, the democracy, the democratic process that we have in America is really a, a very, very, very strong milestone in the, in the history of human beings. We can also see that uh, democracy is inconsi- inconsistent with biology in the mm-hmm. sense of that in the biological realm is that uh, there is no sense of equity or even playing field or people having um, opportunity, equal opportunities, that really it is um, who's on the plate or who's off the plate, and what is the, um, the whole thrust towards not only survival but um, th- thriving. And for us to build a democratic nation, I think that we have to really come to terms with these other parts of us, which is also has to do with meritocracy. People get rewarded for what they're doing, and also the the social sensibility of, and we also need to go if we do succeed here, and we do come in to larger sense of wealth. Is that how do we take care of others that can't provide for themselves and, and can't defend themselves? And um, I think this is really the a very primary question that we're in right now. In, in terms of what is really the best way for us to distribute wealth so that the, the split between the haves and the have-nots is um, greatly reduced. Hmm. And, um, you know, there's some tremendous work being done around this um, where people are actually connecting this kind of economic um, chasm um, with also the green movement. And there's a very okay. strong group right here in the Bay Area called the Green Collar um, jobs mm-hmm. where people from economic disadvantaged people are trained in helping doing environmental work. Great. Yeah, very innovative. Very innovative. Richard, we're going to go to break. When we come back, um, I would like us to look at some of the current presidential candidates for 2008. We'll be right back. From the stock market floor to your computer, you're listening to Voice America Business. Leadership is not static. It evolves as you do. At Alexa Consulting, we work with CEOs, senior leaders, and leaders in transition who want to make a difference. Leaders who believe that good business is good for people, good for the world, and knows that conscious actions can have global impact. Are you ready to take your leadership to the next level? If you are, then visit our website at www.alexaconsulting.com. That's www.alexaconsulting.com. Alexa Consulting, developing leaders worldwide. It has been said that to live is to choose, but to choose well, you must know who you are and what you stand for, where you want to go, and why you want to get there. On Reap What You Sow, with host, performance management specialist, and executive coach, Alana Daly, achievement and success through expanding yourself and your life is available at the click of a mouse. Reap, redefining your goals. Educate your mind, your body, your conscious, and unconscious. Apply what you learn and plan, and it shall be. Success over and over again, and wealth result when you 
you reap regularly. Reap what you sow with Alana Daily, broadcast each Thursday at 11 a.m. Pacific, 2 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Business Channel. Reap what you sow, learn the rules of the game, then play better than anyone else. Tune in every Tuesday at 8 a.m. Pacific time for The Growth Strategist with Aldana Ambler. On the show, Aldana and some of today's top business professionals will discuss some of today's most pressing business issues that hold you, the business owner, back. Aldana will also give you 21 ways to grow with her list of growth strategies. Grow smart, grow profit, and grow your business with Aldana Ambler and The Growth Strategist every Tuesday at 8 a.m. Pacific time right here on the bottom line in business talk, Voice America Business. 401s, stock, mortgage, retirement, wealth. We cover it all. Voice America Business. We appreciate you joining our leading conversations today. If you would like to participate in today's conversation, please call us now at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Now back to your host, Cheryl. Welcome back to Leading Conversations today. We're speaking with Richard Strozzi Heckler, author of The Leadership Dojo, Build Your Foundation as an Exemplary Leader, and co-founder and president of Strozzi Institute. Richard, um, you've been talking a lot about the character values of leadership and the somatics of a leader. And we are going to now take a look at a very um, important issue in today's culture in the United States. 2008 is an important year for the United States. It's really a um, turning point um, for the government, you know, the, the next um, Regime will be stepping in, whomever that is, and whether it's Republican, Democrat, or something else, you know, I'm open that something different could happen. Um, and what we're noticing about the candidates that are running is that they all, they all tend to have a certain message, of course, that they're trying to give us. And what you've said about somatics is that is it, what, 93% of a message is through the body? Is that what you said about 93% and 96%? Something like that. Yeah, there was an interesting book uh, written called Silent Messages uh, by Albert Merrobin, who's a professor emeritus at UCLA. And his, his research had to do with what makes people credible. And with a... a uh, um, a test that they did that had went through many demographics over like three decades. They always came up with the same statistics. And this happened throughout different cultures too, is that when uh, somebody says, what makes somebody credible or why would I trust them? It's 7% content. In other words, they're really just looking at uh, what a person is saying. In term, it, only 7%. 93% is their, pre- their, their presence, their comportment, how they deport themselves in the world. Which is an incredible. If you, if you, I think that our, our common sense tells us that that makes sense, but right, it's incredible right. when you think about it. Right, right. Well, we're going to take a look at some photos, and um, on the listeners who are listening can go to the website and um, follow the directions to link to these photos that we're going to be looking at. So it'll be kind of fun to do that while you're talking, um, and. Let's look at some of the presidential candidates. And why don't we, before we get to the candidates, start with our own president today, George W. Bush. So what is it that you notice about his Selma, his way of being, his leadership presence, um, that gives indicators of who he is? One thing that's very clear about President Bush, and we'll see this with other candidates too because it really is rampant in our culture, is that his center of gravity is high. The center of gravity in the body is about two inches below the belly button. Hmm. And that's where we are most balanced when we're right. walking, sitting, when we're in our bodies, where we're most balanced is our center of gravity. When our, um, we're not located, when our attention is not located in our center of gravity, and our weight is someplace else, there's so much going on in our body to work to keep ourselves balanced. Hmm. Now, so his, his center of gravity is high up in, up in his shoulders. That means he's hmm. constantly off balance. And that, as the former president of Mexico said, of Vicente Fox, that he looks like he has two volleyballs under each armpit. 
<laughs> which means that you can see he has this kind of, his arms are out to the side. It's mm-hmm. a, the old gunslinger kind of attitude where I'm ready to draw. And, um, you know, he, he, he has the body or the presence of a, um, of a fraternity guy. Of a, yeah. of a university fraternity guy, there's a there's some way in which he doesn't show up as dropped and relaxed into his body, but he holds on to that swagger in which we've seen is very prevalent in, in his administration too. Mm-hmm. That kind of gunslinger attitude. That's true. You know, if I worked with him, what I would have him do would be do a lot of dearming work around the shoulders, a lot of dearming work around the forehead. You can see that forehead is all, always furrowed, yeah. and. Um, have him breathe more deeply. Have him bring his breath from up in the upper chest down lower in his body. Well, when you say de-armoring, you know, talk about what that is. Well, armoring is a, is a distinction that uh, a fellow named Wilhelm Reich brought forward. He was a student of Freud's, and he saw that for a lot of his clients back in the 20s that people's um, uh, didn't respond to Freud's talking cure, and he began to um, speculate what it would be like to work directly with somebody's body. Mm. And uh, then he saw that there were these rings or these bands of stiffness or rigidity in people's bodies, and that didn't allow certain uh, input from the environment to come in or something from the inside to go out. Mm-hmm. And uh, he called this armoring. Interesting. And so you would work to essentially reshape their presence and reshape Exactly, exactly. And, you know, I I, I was interviewed on um, Fox News about doing presentations to about uh, presidential uh, candidates, and um, commentators said, well, you know, these are older people, and, you know, people can't change. And, you know, I took issue with that, and I said, no, we can change. We can change our whole lifetime. And part of it is the way that we, we can shift and change our bodies, which is very malleable, which will then shift the self. So in the conversation we're in now, Cheryl, really what we're talking about, we're drawing a, a very direct line from someone's physicality, how they are in their bodies, directly to a ethical, moral, and spiritual stance in the world. Mm-hmm. So, for example, you know, Thomas Jefferson said of George Washington, he said, nobody rides, sits a horse like George Washington. Mm-hmm. Now, while he was talking about his equestrian ability, he was also talking about something much more. He was talking about who he was as a person, just as Arnold Palmer said um, that if I play 18 holes of golf with somebody, I'll be able to tell you everything about them. Yes. Yeah, and and there's a very interesting um, story about uh, Abraham Lincoln I'd like to share here. Oh, sure. Which is at one point Abraham Lincoln is interviewing a person for a cabinet um, position, and one of his assistants is sitting in with him, and... um, at the end of the interview, the assistant says, what do you think? And he says, no, I'm not, I'm not going to hire him. And um, the assistant said, why is that? And he said, well, I didn't like his face. Uh, yeah. And um, the assistant became kind of incredulous and even outraged by him. He said, how can you judge anybody by their face? And Abraham Lincoln said, everybody's responsible for their face after 40. <laughs> and what he's, what he's pointing to is the way that we shape ourselves through our life experiences and how we relate to life mm-hmm. will then determine what the self, to a great, great deal, will determine the self that we are. Right, right. So, so you know, what, I, what I really want to say to the, the listeners here is that this isn't kind of one of these body language things where if you go, somebody crosses their arms, that means they're defensive. Uh-huh. It's much deeper than that. It really Mm -hmm. has to do with how we are living, our livingness, which is inside of our bodies, makes us who we are. Right, right. Yeah, so that that quote-unquote body language thing can actually be dangerous because sometimes crossing one's arms does not make them defensive. (laughs) Also, it's dangerous, right? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. So, um, you know, as I'm listening to you talk about President Bush, I, what comes to mind is how many times I've heard people say, he just doesn't look presidential. And mm-hmm. so now, um, you know, I'm getting, beginning to understand, you know, what he could be doing to be looking more presidential and helping yeah. people feel confident that he has the capacity for that. Exactly. And that's clearly not happening. And, and, and furthermore, I, I would say this, is that, it would, not, it would not just make him look more presidential, that that shifting of his shape 
would give him rise to other things like how he reflects, how he contemplates, mm-hmm. how he relates to other people, how he lets them in. It really has to do with that own, one's own sense of, of uh, personal mastery or self-cultivation. Yes, which then allows people to know him more, to feel confident, to trust that what he's saying is true or that he has the capacity to take the country in the direction he's saying we need to go. That's right. Yeah. Um, So let's get to some of these candidates. Um, Let's start with, right now, um, the two that are in in a Democratic dead heat. Clinton, Hillary Clinton, and Barack Obama. Um, you know, t- the two of them um, could be historic uh, candidates should they be nominated because one is a woman and one is black. And, you know, it's, it's interesting to me that at this time in our history, um, there's a little bit of an opening toward maybe white male isn't all we have as a choice. And um, so a little bit maybe beginning to reflect the population of the country. Um, but let's talk about Hillary. What do you think about her? Cheryl, I, I, I give Hillary Clinton a B. A, a B? B. A, a B. You're going to grade her. I'm going to grade them. I'm going to grade these okay. people, okay? Okay. We can mostly all understand these grades. I'm going to give her a B and maybe a B plus. And um, the primary thing I see about her is that there's a there's when when you watch her stand and move there, there's a pushing forward that she has kind of a there's a push through her low back which kind of lifts her upper chest and sometimes then she'll lift her chin and it gives the impression of somebody who is maybe making who is efforting too hard. Why would she do that? Well, of course, as a woman. Um, in today's day and age, it makes perfect sense. But I think that it also makes her seem less accessible and less mm-hmm. warm. And I don't know if I can get close to her. Mm-hmm. Um, and if I worked with her, I, I would have her relax those long muscles along the spine, let mm-hmm. her settle back and down in her, so relax her, um, relax her jaw, mm-hmm. let the chin drop. What else do you see about her? You know, is is that why people react so strongly to her? It seems that um, there's very little middle ground um, in terms of how people feel about Hillary Clinton. Um, I've heard for years, you know, people either love her or they hate her, and you know, there there isn't very many people who don't have some sort of strong reaction to her. Is that because of this? Well, she, she, she is highly controversial, and, and I wouldn't say that it is because of this, because we know that there's a lot of assessments about her as being maybe cynical and just going where the power is and being opportunistic and how, her, how, she, how she related, her and Bill related to the, this whole situation. Right. So it's not, it's not the only thing, but I, I think that if you look at that, that if we, we continue to consider ourselves as the human animal and not just the uh, rationalistic Cartesian notion of I can think my way through things, I think therefore I am, is it the way that somebody holds their body is we also make very deep assessments about them. Is right. it the only thing? I would say no. But I'd say that it would go a long ways that, again, if she sh- shifted that shape, not only would she produce a different assessment, but she would become actually in herself a different self. Well, we're going to move on to Barack Obama right after this break. From the stock market floor to your computer, you're listening to Voice America Business. Leadership is not static. It evolves as you do. At Alexa Consulting, we work with CEOs, senior leaders, and leaders in transition who want to make a difference. Leaders who believe that good business is good for people, good for the world, and knows that conscious actions can have global impact. Are you ready to take your leadership to the next level? If you are, then visit our website at www.alexaconsulting.com. That's www.alexaconsulting.com. Alexa Consulting, developing leaders worldwide. 
It has been said that to live is to choose, but to choose well, you must know who you are and what you stand for, where you want to go, and why you want to get there. On Reap What You Sow with host, performance management specialist, and executive coach, Alana Daly, achievement and success through expanding yourself and your life is available at the click of a mouse. Reap through redefining your goals. Educate your mind, your body, your conscious, and unconscious. Apply what you learn and plan, and it shall be success over and over again, and wealth result when you reap regularly. Reap what you sow with Alana Daly. Broadcast each Thursday at 11 a.m. Pacific, 2 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Business Channel. Reap what you sow. Learn the rules of the game. Then play better than anyone else. Tune in every Tuesday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time for The Growth Strategist with Aldana Ambler. On the show, Aldana and some of today's top business professionals will discuss some of today's most pressing business issues that hold you, the business owner, back. Aldana will also give you 21 ways to grow with her list of growth strategies. Grow smart, grow profit, and grow your business with Aldana Ambler and The Growth Strategist every Tuesday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, right here on the bottom line in business talk, Voice America Business. 401s, stock, mortgage, retirement, wealth. We cover it all. Voice America Business. We appreciate you joining our leading conversations today. If you would like to participate in today's conversation, please call us now at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Now back to your host, Cheryl. We're back today with Richard Strophy Heckler, co-founder and president of Strophy Institute. Richard, um, in our previous segment, you were giving us your assessment of Hillary Clinton. And now let's move on to Barack Obama. What do you say about him? Well, you know, I would give Barack Obama also a B, Cheryl, a mm. B to a B plus. You know, um, like Hillary, he's very bright. Um, he's very well informed. And he also has a that youthful kind of vigor and energy about him. Um, and the, the, the central assessment that I have about him is that he seems light to me. It's hard to find his organizing principle. Mm-hmm. And by organizing principle, I mean where is his bodily center? Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of gestures by him. There's a lot of movement. But at the end of the day, I would think that if he had to confront a strong or belligerent leader of another country, would he be able to hold his weight there? It's almost right. as if there's a certain kind of lightness about him that he could uh, be blown off by. Mm-hmm. And uh, the way that I would work with him, I would teach him how he could drop his uh, breath, drop his attention to his center of gravity and begin to weight himself in a particular kind of way. Mm-hmm. You know, you, uh, as a kid, you, know, you, or, or you give your kids those kinds of blow-up toys that have those big weighted bottoms. So if you hit them, they just bounce back up again. Mm-hmm. That's what I'd like to see in him. And so what about John Edwards? John Edwards. John Edwards, um, although this has shifted over time, and he's been do- I can see that he's been doing some work here, is that he, he appears as if he's more interested in being liked than being a powerful, effective leader. Mm-hmm. Um, there's ways in which uh, when people are talking to him, he'll kind of automatically nod his head, mm-hmm. that he will... Um, uh, um, smile often, and then when he's listening, he cans his head to the side, kind mm-hmm. of in an acquiescent, almost apologetic tone. Oh. Um, if I work with John, and also that there's not a lot of energy or presence coming out of his chest. He's a very bright guy. I personally like his politics very much. He's a warm person, and uh-huh. I think that he would really be able to increase his effectiveness if he um, held his head still. He looks straight, straight squarely into the listener's eyes, yeah. and um, that he would uh, have left in his chest, let himself really feel his chest more. Hmm. Interesting. And so, Rudy Giuliani and um, John McCain are certainly strong on the scene. What do you think about those two? Well, I for both of them, I'd give them D's. Ooh. Yeah, I'd give them D's, and, and uh, I'll go back and say with Jonathan Edward, I'd, I'd give a C, maybe a C plus, okay. Okay. Um, in terms of, of a leadership presence. Uh, Giuliani, you know, he he's in a way just ghoulish. You know, he his his skin, his skin looks waxen, his head is very forward, his chest is pulled back, and the mm-hmm. the corners of his mouth are just turned down. 
Now, in all his press photos, he looks different because all those things are, are highly posed. But when you see his body in, in, in conversation, that's what he looks like. Um, so what I would really work with him would be to bring his head above his shoulder so he's standing upright. Ah, uh, yeah. I'm, yeah. I'm sure that if he did that, he would, he would look two inches taller. And at the same time, it would bring his chest and his heart forward. So really what you see is you see somebody with their heart and chest pulled back and their jaw and the head out there like he's leading, leading with his head and um, not, not his heart, like the heart's not in there. It's almost as if right. he, he and Edwards um, could change roles a little bit or maybe even McCain and Edwards. Mm-hmm. So talk a bit about McCain. Yeah, John McCain, Senator McCain, is. I would also give a D. Too. And, you know, he's very much forward. His head's forward. His shoulders are forward. He's even forward on the balls of his feet as if he's tipped forward. Sometimes it reminds me of a boxer who's trying to corner somebody in the ring. And right. um, uh, that, that all gives the impression of somebody who is very aggressive, very forward in themselves. And it would belie the question that if things started to get really chancy, would he pull the trigger too soon? Right. Right, right. And because he's off balance forward in that way and charging forward, it's almost as if here, Cheryl, he's, he, he's presenting his jaw in such a way where he's, it looks like he, he's saying something like, go ahead and take your best shot at me. I can, I can take it. Just take your right. best shot. Right, right, right. Yeah. As you said similarly about his time at the PLW. Yes. Um, so we, we're getting close to the to a close, but um, just quickly, why do you think President Bill Clinton, Bill Clinton, was so well liked? What about his thematic presence? Um, in terms of why why he was so well liked in terms of his leadership presence, is that he he exuded a a, a very genuine and authentic warmth about him. Um, uh, and what I mean by that is that I, internally what we found out when we read about him and hear about him is that he likes being around people. He right. likes to engage with people, and that, that shows up through his body and the way that he's with people and makes eye ca- contact and is with them mm-hmm. um, shows up very, very, very much in his body in that particular mm-hmm. kind of way. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, Richard, this is very interesting, so I think the candidates should all hire you. <laughs> they could all hire you for your your wisdom, and maybe they could all be um, give us better choices. Huh? Maybe mm. that will work. Um, so I appreciate you being here today. It's been a wonderful hour. Um, if people want to know more about your work or to get in touch with you, they can go to your website. What is it? The website is Strozzi Institute, S-T-R-O-Z-Z-I, and then Institute, one word, I-N-S-T-I-T-U-T-E dot com, Institute dot com. Or you could also go to the, the Leadership Dojo dot com um, website, which is about the work, and that links into the website of the Institute also. Wonderful. Uh-huh. Well, it's always a pleasure to have you and a privilege to have you with us on Leading Conversations, Richard. Good luck with the book. I know that it's doing very well, and... Um, I, I'm sure you will come back and talk to us again on Leading Conversations to keep us current on what's happening in your world. So remember, everybody, think big, because the world could be a better place because of a conversation that matters. This is Cheryl Esposito. Thank you for spending this hour with Cheryl Esposito and Leading Conversations. You can listen live every Friday at 10 a.m. Pacific Standard Time on the Voice America Business Channel. If you have a question or comment for Cheryl, please email her at leadingconversations at alexaconsulting.com. That's L-E-A-D-I-N.